Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. Today we have a special episode for you. It is the very first uh, episode of our new series, and I'm going to let Katie talk a little bit more about it. Hello. So if you guys have been following us for a little bit, you might be aware of this, but long ago we talked about doing a possible replay. So we're going to just quick explain that a little bit to be This is our Marvel Replay series, and essentially it's Taylor and I going back, we're watching all of our movies all over again, with the exception of the Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk, since they aren't currently on Disney+, and we're only doing the ones on Disney+. Um, But really it's just us going through, and we're now going to go two movies per episode, and just give our thoughts, considering when we started the podcast, we started right when Loki was coming out, kind of in that area, so we definitely missed like a good 20 something movies um and so I we're really just gonna take this moment to kind of give some of our thoughts now that we're looking back at these films you know many years later and many rewatches later of what we think about them and just now that we know some things as well compared to where we maybe knew when the first Avenger came out for example it, it, it's just an interesting thought process of how how we started and how we ended up here. So we wanted to do that for you guys, give you guys a little bit of a, maybe go through the ages, some nostalgia, you know, going with it. So, and just to clarify, we are watching these in timeline order, not in chronological release order. So I um, just wanted to, you know, clarify that because there are obviously two very distinct ways of watching the, you know, the whole cinematic universe and we've chosen to go in universe timeline order. Yes, and uh, to also go off of that, I just want to give a red flag to any who might be new fans um, and who might have stumbled upon us, and we're happy you're here, but might be doing your very first replay or watch party. At this point in the MCU, it is actually recommended not to watch them in timeline order, so I just want to give a red flag on people. The first few movies, I believe, are fine to some degree, but I I just want to give that red flag just because I don't want anyone to get spoilers because there are plenty with watching them in timeline order, so... Right on. So timeline order, as you guys know, begins in the 1940s with our dear old Steve Rogers becoming Captain America. Yes, as he has his uh, origin story um, came out in 2011, but was set in the 1940s. So Katie, I personally have a special place in my heart for this movie, but I'll (laughs) let you take it away first. Well, I do too, for other reasons. (laughs) But I, I love this movie. I think it really is to start off the timeline order. I think it's one of the strongest. So I'm really happy when people go back and they watch in timeline order and they can start with such a good movie. Of course, I think the more you watch them and the more you see them after other things have happened, you kind of start to pick some holes in the things that have gone on. And things Uh, that have built off of it haven't always kept, you know, Marvel, they're really, really good at continuity. I think we can all agree on that. But that doesn't mean they haven't made mistakes. So, you know, there are definitely plot holes that people have pointed out. So I think we will definitely be pointing some of those out as well. Just like inconsistencies, you know, from one movie to another, 
within and even between the different franchises. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to kick off with one of my biggest pet peeves of this movie, and it has probably been one of my biggest pet peeves from the beginning, and people can tear me apart for this if they want. I just don't understand why he had to go in the ice. <laughs> like, I understand putting the plane down, but I just, like, don't get why he chose to do it the way he did. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. It just was a whole thing for me. And every time I watch it, it slightly bothers me more and more. Just because I'm like, bro, you could have really nosedived it and jumped out, but you didn't. <laughs> I I don't know. It's just one of those things for me that I'm like, come on, cat. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I see where you're coming from, but, like, he wouldn't have been the man out of time without it. So, like, at its very core, it's a plot device, you know? Oh, yeah. It's also true to the comics. So, you know, take that up with, I think he was created by Jack Kirby. I don't think he was a Stan Lee character. Um, but I could be wrong about that, so don't quote me on it. But take that up with the creator, you know? I know. I, know. <laughs> I just, I, every time I watch it, I'm like, bro, I... Like, you had the right idea, and I support you for it, but why did you just not jump out? You would have survived. You are a super soldier. So I don't know. Every time I watch that, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. But other than that, I'm not going to lie. Well, we'll get into the Tesseract thing, especially considering the movie right after this is Captain Marvel, both of which deal a lot with the Tesseract. Two so very big Tesseract movies right yes, in a row. So You're going timeline. We definitely want to hold off on that a little bit. That will help us move into the Captain Marvel part of this. But moving that part out, I think this was a really good movie. I enjoy it. I think the characters are awesome. I don't think this is one of those movies that I personally think have a ton of like, I look back at it and it doesn't quite work for me. I don't know. I just, I really don't disagree with how the movie went. No, and I, <clears throat> I'm like a really big history nerd. So for me, like, uh, one of my favorite pieces is the fact that it is set so like far back in history, like the whole World War Two setting, I think is just so interesting and special. And like, we don't really have that like, yeah, I get that Captain Marvel set in like the 90s, and you have flashbacks to like the 70s and things like that, or whatever, in different movies. But I don't know, I think the 1940s, especially, you know, during the World War II era, era, for obvious reasons, are such a distinctive time period. And so I really enjoyed their depiction of it. And I thought, you know, you know, to my knowledge, it was, you know, pretty accurate to how things were at the time. Um, I really liked just the aesthetic of the movie following that that time in history. So I, I really enjoyed it too, from from that aspect. I think it's just really special in that way, because it's so far removed from like modern day. I agree. And even I know, not trying to jump ahead, but I mean, even when you look at the second movie of the Captain America franchise, I think it's great how much we see the start of things, such as Hydra, even S.H.I.E.L.D. coming about. I mean, obviously, we don't fully see S.H.I.E.L.D. yet, but it's the beginnings of it. And we see all of this. And then obviously, we see how all of this became so intertwined in The Winter Soldier. And I just think, like, seeing the beginning the way that we do, it's personally, to me, one of the few movies that... Now, we have we have three main trilogies. Um, but out of the three, I would say that it's probably one of the only ones that I think really helps set up its second one and really gives it a place to stand. Because literally, they bleed into each other. And I think that's awesome. I love seeing the Hydra part of of the Winter Soldier because we see so much of it and it's everything in the first Avenger. And I just think these movies uh, and the first Avenger itself, just like I said, it builds 
such a great foundation for the cat trilogy and you just can't i feel like that can't be debated that is just the foundation is 100 there all of these connections are amazing even when it comes down to bucky coming back i think that's awesome so i don't know i just i think it's a strong movie i'm gonna sit there and say it and every time i watch it i have less and less complaints yeah, honestly, this is one of my comfort movies, so you will not find a complaint <laughs> out of me. I just, this and like the first Avengers, just for like so many reasons, but also partially just pure nostalgia. Like this whole 2011, 2012 era was just really good for me. You know, I'd say what you will about the first Thor. I know a lot of people have some strong opinions about that, but <laughs> I, I don't know. It just makes me happy. So this, you know, I'm, I'm only going to gush about this movie as we kind of dissect more of it. Yeah, I will say one thing is, and I, I definitely know I've said this to you, Taylor, and it happens, and I'm not going to sit there and not say it doesn't, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Some of the CGI didn't age well in this movie. Yeah, I will agree. Yeah, it definitely has some of its points where it really, like, if it wasn't a Marvel movie, I'd be like, ooh, this is really not it. Because some of the CGI just didn't go well. I'm thinking specifically of where he's With throwing, the fire? Yes, where he's throwing the field and it w- looks like it should have been made for, like, a 3D movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking specifically of that scene. Like, I thought the majority of it was fine, but when you whenever you say, like, poorly aged CGI in the first Avenger, my mind immediately goes to that scene. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that's just one of the things that, I mean, like I said, you can't really help. And if that's one of our few complaints about this film, I think Marvel did it very well. And to be fair, in timeline order, it may be first, but it wasn't in their making. So I think they were in the process of really getting a hang of what they were doing. Agreed. Um, so I think this was a great, like, this was kind of the beginning of the golden era of mo- the films that were coming out. Retweet. Retweet. Yeah. <laughs> so, because I, I, as much as I love, like, you know, the first Iron Man and, and some of the others, it's just Marvel was getting their, their feet wet, figuring out what they were doing. And I just think this was one of the very well done movies. I think the relationships, especially, and I know I've already brought this up, but bleeding into the rest of his trilogy, I think that's awesome. I just, I don't know. Like I said, I think the entire movie itself, I, I think there's great one liners, like the freaking fondue. Don't oh even get God. me started. Don't even oh get me started. God. It's so good. He really believed that for like a while. <laughs> I know, I know. But I, also just, I, I don't know. I think. Like, knowing where Steve goes on later and how he feels so out of time, I really enjoyed watching him actually in the time where he was supposed to be. Like, obviously, he didn't know what was going to happen and, you know, that he was going to be in the ice for 70 years and wake up and, like, live when all of his friends should have been dead or whatever. But it's so it's cool then knowing the displacement that he feels later on in the in the, you know, in the MCU to actually see him in his element, in his time, with the people he was, you know, meant to age with. I just like seeing Steve in a place where he feels like he belongs, I think, because this is the only movie, literally the only yeah. movie, where you get to see him truly in his element. And I think there's, you know, an edge to Steve later on. There's an unending sadness that kind of always lives under the surface of his character, no matter what he's doing, because of that displacement and you know caused by that feeling of displacement and it's so absent in this movie like even though he's fighting nazis and he's like super focused you still get that he's he's happy and he feels like he has a purpose 
And I think even though later he finds a purpose with the Avengers, there's still that undercurrent that like he doesn't belong. So just even from like a character standpoint, I think this movie stands apart because he feels that sense of belonging that he truly doesn't for the rest of like the 10 or 12 years he's in the MCU. Well, and you know what? I love that point partially because I like this movie a lot because we see Steve pre-serum. And that is almost the same idea of he never, he didn't belong because he was this very, very scrawny kid <laughs> compared to literally everyone else. Like, he needed to he, drink some milk. <laughs> yeah, like, he couldn't, like, as I, as they quote in the movie, you know, you're, I could scratch you off this list with your asthma alone. The kid, like, had so many issues. He wasn't just scrawny. Like, he literally had, I'm, I literally paused the movie to read for the first time ever to read all of his issues and I wish I could remember more about them now but I remember like pausing it because I was like oh my god he's got 15 problems yeah and they're not he's just not like- a very healthy dude like besides just being small and thin and not well built you know and you know in traditional masculine ideals he also had genuine like health issues yeah and yet he still wanted to do his part and like I think that just gets to the core of who Steve is. And that's the whole point. That's why they show him to us like pre serum is to show us like, he didn't become righteous because he's Captain America. He became Captain America because he has these intrinsic ideals. And that's what makes him the, you know, not a perfect soldier, but a good man. Like that's the whole point. And I I love that too. Like that opportunity to see him. You know, it's it's one thing to say, well, this is how he was before the serum, but they're not just talking the talk, you know, like that's who Steve is. And you get to see that no matter what, like he he wants to do the right thing and he's driven by, you know, that purpose of helping others. And and that doesn't change with the serum. It's only amplified. Well, and I you also then bring up his righteousness. And I thought, you know, that is something that maybe people who especially people who probably pick Team Iron Man. um. <laughs> feel were problematic from the get-go that he was always trying to he was too righteous almost and I'm I use air quotes I think that can be the argument on the other side and I really enjoy the first Avenger because we see him not only in the in the element of this is you know where he's actually supposed to be living and these are the people he's supposed to be around but because his righteousness is what puts him in the position to be Captain America and also to be respected then. You know, like, he wasn't this bully. He wasn't this dude who just went in because, oh, well, this is how I see it and this is how it should be. And no, I'm not hating on anyone's favorite character right now, but if you can't tell, I am (laughs) King Cap. Anyway. (laughs) um, Well, not only are you attacking um, he who shall not be named in this movie, but also the world's biggest villain. Faux cap, so you know there's that. Yeah, well, that's why I'll I'll bite my tongue where it's at. But I I think, and especially I think with his relationship with Tony, we see later on that is always their rift. Is that he's too righteous for Tony and is always trying to do the right thing for everyone versus Tony sees things very one one direction one way and that's how he expects it to be done and that's what, what he expects from it. And I think that's why you know. Later on, I think people are like, oh, well, Cap is too righteous and Cap is too this. But in his element, in the World War II element of the first Avenger, he belongs and that makes him a leader. That makes him respected. And that's why all those prisoner soldiers 
are like, who are you? And he's like, well, I'm Captain America. And they're just like, out Adolf Hitler a hundred times. Yeah. And they were like, the number, cool. But. Okay. <laughs> like that works. Well, how um, Commandos willingly followed him into battle yeah. because they knew he would not go into battle. With, like he would lead them into battle. He would not ask them to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Yeah, I agree. So I think to bring up the whole, like in his element and everything, that's one of the most important parts is, you see where that got him in the 1940s and during the war. And not because he was doing it to get him places, but because, you know, people were like, yes, lead us. This is what we need. And I, I just think it's very interesting to see the other side of the coin later on of how as much as he remains righteous for pretty much his entire time, that becomes almost sometimes considered it's too much it's a bad thing or it's not the right way to do things necessarily so i think just you know is interesting and i think it says a lot about it it might be and i might just be reading too far into this but it might just be a well what's the word i'm looking for but it's it's like a commentary on the way society is now that like before righteousness something that you aspire to and made you a leader and made you, you know, made people want to follow you and respect you. But now it's almost seen as like pretentious. I, I don't know if that's like the right word, but like that. I know what you're saying though. Yeah. And so like that, I think is so interesting that if you're going to take it from like a, you know, a, a deeper analysis level, I think that was something that I didn't really think about the first few times. You know, I was just like enjoying, you know, the action and watching Captain America, like learn how to be Captain America. But, you know, I think the benefit of like your fourth, fifth, sixth watch is you can actually pull out some larger themes that like the director may have or across the MCU, the directors may or may not have been trying to actually convey. Right. Well, I'm gonna bust open our main topic because this is what this entire film other than before you do, I do. I just thought of one question, and I, I had to. I have to ask it because I just saw um, Age of Ultron. Um, or I just that's where I am in my my current rewatch. And they they mentioned vibranium in that movie because they go to Claw, and then Sto- Tony and Steve. This is in Age of Ultron. Tony and Steve have a little side conversation where he says, "I thought your dad said he got it all." Here's my question: How did Howard get the vibranium for Steve's shield? Like, I, I know it's, like, never said. It's almost implied he got it from Wakanda, but is Wakanda the only place on Earth that has vibranium? Like, that's just a question that's, like, never fully addressed, and I just wanted to bring that up super quickly. Uh, and that's a fair question. I kind of always assumed that it was, and as much as we want to believe, like, oh, we did everything by the books. I think Steve even says it in, like, The Winter Soldier. He's like, you know, it was war. And I might not be out the right movie. It might have been Ultron. I don't even know. But at one point he says, you know, we, we did what we had to do because it was war. Like, we didn't love doing it, but we had to. I almost wonder if there was, like, a black market kind of thing happening. And that's how... I could see that. Like, Howard Howard was an eccentric dude. And I could see him skirting some laws the same way his son does. You know, just find a workaround. Well, and I don't even know if it was necessarily directly even Howard. Like, it could have just as easily been almost any of them. Uh, And I'm not saying, like, any of them as in Peggy, Steve, any of them. But I just mean, like, literally, like, the American government and military could have just as easily different sectors been involved in things. And, like, 
Steve had said, it was war. It was a different time and not everything was going to be done by the books because you couldn't do it that way. So I think that to me was kind of always the general explanation in my head was that there's probably some sort of black market deal. I'm sure whoever it was sat there and was like, this is all that there was in Wakanda. Or for all you know, they were getting hot on Wakanda's trail and figuring out, hey, they have vibranium. And, you know, the king at the time, which was that T'Chaka? I think that's probably T'Chaka's dad. That's what I was thinking. Okay, that's it's hard because Cap is like weird, it, you know, ageless. Based on T'Chaka's age in Civil War, I don't think he was probably only in his 60s or 70s. He would have had to have been close to 100 and something. Okay, so yeah. This would be his dad. Okay, okay. Then let's say the king at that time, T'Chaka's dad, most likely, you know, maybe he was like, you know, get him off our trail. Let's sell them, quote unquote, what we have left of our vibranium or have a seller say this is all that was left. And then that helped keep Wakanda off the map. Because to be fair, I mean, Hitler and Hydra themselves were like invading everything. So it's kind of hard to say whether or not, I know Wakanda has all their technology and all their special like ways to stay hidden, but who's Did to say that? In the 40s, like that's a real question too. Like all of that like um, reflective tech that they have that, you know, I don't remember the name of, like, there's a name for the tech like that, but all of the way they make it look like you're going into a mountain, essentially, when you're actually heading into, like, the main city of Wakanda. Like, I I would be shocked if they had that in the 40s. They're exceptionally advanced, so it's entirely possible, but I don't know that they had that 70 years prior. Maybe they had an earlier generation of it or something like that. I don't know how it, you know, how much, they're clearly more advanced than, like, the rest of society. I don't know if they were able to be that much more advanced at that time. Like, they were literally, like, 80, 90 years ahead. It's possible. I don't know that for a fact. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that they didn't have that kind of tech, it probably would have been easier to see what Wakanda truly was back then because they didn't have a Shuri out there in R&D creating this, like, really incredible technology to protect them at the level that they are in modern day. Again, they're so advanced, it's entirely possible that they had that, and we wouldn't know because we don't explore Wakanda during that time period. But I think it's entirely also possible on the flip side that they don't. Well, exactly. And I mean, as much as they have the reflectives going on, I mean, at the end of the day, if there was a mission down there or something and a stray soldier just happened to have accidentally wandered, you know what I mean? Like, it was still possible to be discovered. So I, I, and especially in a time like that, it was a world war. So I I would have to think, you know, it somewhere or another, it was either to get someone off their trail in general and keep Wakanda safe and out of it, or just in general, someone smuggled it out and was like, this is all I got. And whoever got it, whether it was Howard or someone from the military or whatever, might have also just assumed he meant that's all that was left. That's all he got. And that's all that he had to take. So I don't know. That was kind of always my, like the implication that came to my mind whenever he said that, but it's a good question. Yeah. I was just, I caught that little conversation in Age of Ultron that I don't think I really registered before because when I'd seen it in the past, I don't think I've rewatched Age of Ultron since Black Panther came out. I've probably watched Black Panther like three or four times, but you know, at least. I don't think I've rewatched Age of Ultron. I've probably only seen it two or three times. And most of them, most if not all of the viewings were pre-Black Panther. So I didn't really 
I don't think anybody at that time really had the in-depth understanding of how important vibranium was or what, like, I mean, in the movie, Bruce calls it Wakananda and then he corrects himself, you know, like nobody knows what Wakanda is. So it, it never really sparked anything to me. But again, as you were saying before, like with the benefit of hindsight, you you rewatch these movies and I clocked that and I was like, wait a minute, how did Howard get the shield? Like, how did he get the medal for the shield? So sorry, I took us off track, but I like, that was something that like really was bothering me because I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, no, I mean, fair question, like I said, but now to break into the big hot topic, the Tesseract. Woo! So my biggest complaint about the entirety of like phase one and two, I guess, and I know I've said this to Taylor before, is that out of six Infinity Stones, especially phase one, is like, boom, Tesseract. What a problem? It's the Tesseract. Like, I mean, let's count all of the movies it's in, in phase one. It's in the first Avenger. It's in the Avengers. What else is it in? Captain Marvel. Well, that's not technically phase one. So if we're, if well, we're like, early. Oh, yeah, okay. So let's, let's say it this way. In early in the MCU chronological timeline, not release order timeline, it is in at least three of the first five movies because it's in the first Avenger. So the first five movies in order, right, are first Avenger, Captain Marvel, Thor, no, Iron Man. Oh, I guess first six because it's Iron Man, Thor, Iron Man 2, Avengers. Or is it, no, Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Thor, Avengers right i think you just said captain marvel and you just said captain marvel isn't no i'm saying in release order but like or in chronological order in release order phase one she's not in it right yeah oh you're saying in chronological in chronological mcu order it's captain america captain marvel or first avenger captain marvel iron man one iron man two oh i always forget hulk iron man (laughs) one hulk iron man two thor and then the Avengers, right? So that's the first seven movies up through the Avengers. And three of those movies have the Tesseract in it. Well, and I mean, for me, I think when you look at it in time order, and this is why I'm really happy that we're doing the first Avenger and Captain Marvel in the same little replay episode here, because I personally feel there's some inconsistency on where the Tesseract was at the very beginning. I mean, especially a little- with the end game travel back in time yeah that's another and i think there's also a little bit of cons- inconsistency with it later also moving into the um first avengers movie as well but i will kind of that that's like a later conversation for a later point let's just focus on the biggest inconsistency to me so obviously cap goes down with the tesseract i mean not directly the tesseract kind of falls through the floor after sending Red Skull up into space, which we later find out he was on Vormir, blah, 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 blah. Cool. Which, I just gotta say, I know we're not talking about Endgame right or Infinity War. Well, he's in both. I know we're not talking about that right now, but I gotta say, that reveal, masterful. Chef's kiss. That was pretty good. That was, to bring, I mean, and, I mean, we are to assume, I'm pretty sure, like, oh, he died. And to have him come out there, yeah, I, that was, yeah, I'm here for that. Uh, and I think everyone was like, yeah, that that works for me. But, I mean, I guess my problem's not super with it so much, like, in the actual first Avengers movie. Like, or Captain America, the first Avengers movie. 
Um, I think it's pretty clear and like straightforward. Yeah, I think the test track itself, okay, makes sense. I do have to say, like, I don't love how the Red Skull just like kind of stumbles upon it in the middle of like where was he? Like one of the he was somewhere near. It, it wasn't Germany though. I don't believe I, it was one of yeah, the. Countries. I want to say it was a Nordic country because they had the the living tree on the like he talks about Yidris. What is it called? Yidrasil? Something something along those lines. Dang. The Norse like tree of life. He talks about that, and that's where he finds it. So I want to say it was a Nordic country, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, I, I just, my biggest problem with that is, like, and I get the first Avenger, especially in timeline order, uh, is literally the first movie. But I guess I'm just like, how did this stone end up here? Especially considering it's, like, called the Jewel of Odin's Treasure Like, that's what he calls it, the Jewel of Odin's Treasure Room. And I'm like, then how is it just randomly on Earth? Because at this time... There are no other stones on Asgard. Literally, that is why they take the ether off of Asgard and Thor too, because they're like the Tesseract is already on Asgard, and you don't keep two stones in the same place. My only, the, my, the only thing I can think of is that they have the faux gauntlet there, but they don't know it's fake. So I guess maybe I'm wondering if they don't want the gauntlet with the the stone. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, I didn't take the gauntlet as any kind of seriousness, but I didn't think Marvel wanted us to. I think it was supposed to be, like, the joke of, mm, fake, you know, you know what I mean? Because we made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I just, like, my, and this is not really a mistake and not necessarily even a pet peeve. It's just kind of my thought process of it. I just didn't really understand how the Tesseract was just chilling on some, yeah, it was hidden away. Well, quote unquote hidden away. I mean, it wasn't. It was to a degree hidden. Actually, like, what were mortals doing protecting the tesseract? Well, that's what I mean. I just why was on Earth? Why were a bunch of regular mortals, no power, no serum, nothing, protecting this like incredibly imp- like powerful jewel that like is quote unquote the jewel of Odin's th- uh, treasure room? Well, why the heck isn't it in Odin's treasure room? Like that's a very valid point. Well, yeah, okay, so I'm glad that it's not just me kind of going in my head thinking too deep, and like I said, I get it, this is the first movie of, like, in timeline order, so it's like- Also, I don't remember if- I know Thor and the first Avenger came out both in 2011, I don't know what order they were in, like, which one came out earlier in the year than the other, but I can imagine if you're a Marvel fan, I was only a casual fan at this time, full disclosure- if you're a, a hardcore Marvel fan and either you just saw Thor or you know Thor's coming out later in the year, depending on when they came out, because I don't know, again, off the top of my head, how excited are you going to be at that name drop of Odin in this movie that's about, you know, Captain America? Like, just, like, the little one-liner there. So I think that's why they threw it in, but I do agree it, it adds a little confusion. Well, but not even with that line in general. I mean, that line is part of my argument, but even taking it out, it's just kind of like, but why is it? Yeah. yeah. Why is it on Earth, which is, and I mean this in the best ways, but it was, it is especially because we're in, in the MCU, we're so focused on thinking we're the only, and I mean a little bit, I guess, in real life, but people do think there's still life out there, right? But like in the MCU, we're convinced up until the alien invasion and things start, or well, Thor a little bit, but they kind of kept a little bit of that under wraps. But really, in the the alien invasion of New York in the in the very first Avengers movie, that's the first time people really start to realize we're not alone in this world. 
Yeah. And so I guess it's like, why would you put it on Earth of all places? That's completely defenseless to anybody invading from the outside because they're too worried about themselves because they don't think that there are others out there. Like, yeah, there are Xandar who like is constantly at war with like the Kree and like they're just going to go hop on their spaceship and go to a different planet tomorrow. Like us Earthlings are firmly on Earth for all of our life. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like for me, I just, that that's just like one thing for me. If I had to pick something about the Tesseract and the first Avenger that didn't quite line up, that's it. But I want to get into, and this will guide us right into Captain Marvel, which is the second half of this episode, and the second movie in a rewatch in timeline order. So Howard picks it out of the ocean. Awesome. Cool. I mean, literally even in the first Avengers movie, Cat references that, and he said it should have been left in the ocean. And then here we are in the 90s, and it was up in space. Explain it. And I, I know, like, you know, Endgame's obviously later, but I think we, if we're going to do a quick little Tesseract timeline, I think we'd be very remiss if we don't talk about how it was in the S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess you would call it a bunker, I don't know, at their headquarters in the 70s when Tony and Steve go back to get it from Howard. But, so I, I guess the, the question, it's, it doesn't answer the question, it, it's just, it's still... Under the guise of, okay, well, Howard had it, he got out of the ocean, then S.H.I.E.L.D. had it, and, you know, Howard's there with it, Peggy's there with it, but then it ends up, I, I, I guess, yeah, so it's, it's a good question. I just wanted to point out that we do see it again in the 70s, so it's not a, for, you know, a jump from the 40s to the 90s. No, and that's a great point, though, because we see it again in the 70s, I mean, we have to think, so it was, she goes by Captain Marvel, correct? Uh oh the 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 older woman yeah I think it's just Marvel oh okay so I I don't remember I couldn't remember if she like went by something but so my question then so obviously she puts it up in the spaceship that has all the the scrolls that she's keeping safe but I guess it's like I I okay I guess if you wanted to sit there and be like well this is how you explain it. you could be like well it was only up here for like five years. So if it's the 90s, like, she put it up here sometime in the 80s, maybe, and whatever. Okay, that, I guess that's the easy way to write it off. But we don't actually know how long that spaceship was up there or how long the Tesseract was there. And also, I guess, like, I understand she what she was doing was a fraction of, and like, a part of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I just can't quite see how they would have kept something that important that had been kept away, and we see that in the 70s, it's kept away and protected the way it is. And they just were like, oh, yes, use it for your purposes and experiments and things. Yeah, because, I mean, even just jumping forward a little to 2012 in the Avengers, like, when Fury has it and he's using it for their purposes, he's the director and he has a very solid pulse on everything it's doing. So, you know, obviously, like, that's a jump ahead, but I think it's it's still true to probably how I think Peggy was the director at the time, um, how Peggy was probably acting towards the Tesseract, you know, from one director to another, probably keeping a very strong pulse on it. And, you know, let's not forget, didn't Marvell die, you know, in that plane crash? So even if they had lent it to her and she died in that plane crash, now they don't know where the Tesseract is. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think, it definitely can be explained how it got up there, you know, she, you know, whatever, but I don't think it 
it makes sense necessarily how it stayed there because it doesn't, you know, I would think someone at S.H.I.E.L.D. would have been like, hey, this super powerful thing that Captain America died, you know, keeping out of the Nazis' hands is, like, gone, you know? Well, that's what I was going to say is, like, even though she did die then and even prior to that, it's like, well, you don't know how long she's had that ship up there. So it's like she could have been, quote-unquote, experimenting with it for five years. And you're telling me no one checked up for the fact that she still had this very powerful stone, you know? And then even when she did die, it's like, well, where was it? Because I don't quite remember how if they ever even, like, blatantly say how long. It, it was a couple months since um captain marvel accident no it was and years. that was or sorry sorry i meant a couple years it's six i was thinking six months and i was like that doesn't sound right um a couple years sorry um since the accident so that's at least six years that it was up in yeah, space because nobody knew the coordinates but marvell yeah and the only one who had been experimenting on it the last time that she was alive had been six years ago so you're telling me no one was like, yo, we lost this thing. <laughs> like, like, and we see into S.H.I.E.L.D. because obviously Fury's in that movie. Guys, in case you hadn't noticed, we're pretty much fully transferred over to Captain Marvel now. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, we see Fury acting as part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Don't you think that there would have been, even six years later, I'm sorry, at least somebody working on that case? Like, that's an important artifact that you just lost. And, like, they don't seem too worried about it. Nor do they seem to really know what it is. Like, were there not files? I don't know. And and I guess my, my biggest qualm with this is, you know, I understand when movies kind of come out all together and they don't necessarily work. Like, with one another, if they come out in too rapid succession or, you know, the, the order of the movies was changed, I guess, is, is my thought process. You know, things don't always... Like, plot holes happen. It happens. But if you're going to create a movie... And it came out in what 20, 2018, 20, yeah, because it was in between Infinity War and Endgame. Oh yeah, fall of twenty eighteen. I remember now. But um, if you're gonna create a movie in twenty eighteen, you should do your homework and look back at the movie in twenty, you know, in twenty eleven. They clearly knew what it was, you know. So it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody what this is. Like, yeah, you can say maybe you know Fury didn't have the security clearance. Okay, that's fine. But it just seems like there was a whole lot of confusion when there really shouldn't have been because they'd had it for, like, 50 years or, yeah, like 40 years at that point. And to a degree, I mean, whether or not you can, what they're keeping secret as far as the ranks and shield or whatnot, some of it, I'm sure, is just history. Yeah. Like, I don't think that those kids are studying. I mean, they have Captain America, right? Well, who did Captain America fight? He didn't just fight the Nazis. He's fighting Hydra. I mean, they knew Hydra had this. They were using these highly weaponized guns and everything out and tanks and all this. So I'm like, a part of this could be just like a history. Like, you know that this is a powerful thing. I don't know. That's just like the biggest thing. I remember when I first rewatched it and I immediately said something to you about it. I was like, this doesn't make sense. And I guess what makes me even more angry about it is it didn't need to even be in the film. It didn't need to. Like, there was enough plot, I felt like, in the whole, you know, first of all, it's an origin story. And yes, you can have a Tesseract in an origin story. I mean, we just watched it in Captain America, right? But yeah. first of all, it's an origin story. 
then you're introducing an interspecies um, thousand-year galactic war. You're reintroducing Shield in the '90s, giving them a different, you know, pr- giving you a different perspective on the on the agency and what they looked like, you know, 10, 15 years before we next see them. You are bringing back characters as much younger versions. Like there's a lot going on <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. Um, so much so that it it already had a plot without the Tesseract. Like the whole a scroll Cree war and, and the Captain Marvel being manipulated and being part of it. Like that was enough plot to create a conflict without the added need of the Tesseract. So yeah, I mean, it just it didn't need to be in the movie. Like it was a garnish that was like a little too much, I thought. And you know what? It got thrown in there in honestly the last like 10 to 15 minutes. And that's also what was even more annoying was I think it maybe if they would have had it in earlier and it like made more of an appearance, fine. But they seriously were like here. And then it was like, why is very much an afterthought? And I mean, okay, maybe not. Like, I guess if you're really analyzing the movie, they talk about Marvel's power source and like that is the Tesseract and like it's revealed to be the Tesseract. So I guess it is in the movie like the whole time. But I felt like the whole power source thing was kind of a subplot in a lot of ways to the whole girl Cree conflict. It's really hard to say those names. No. That's interesting that you that's how you took that. Honestly, maybe I watched the movie wrong. Let me let me just <laughs> give this preface. When I did my rewatch, that was only the second time I watched Captain Marvel. Not gonna lie to you. I think I skipped it when I did my rewatch for either Infinity War no, it would have been Endgame because it wouldn't have been out yet. Because I just watched it, so I didn't watch it in the rewatch. No, honestly, the first time I watched it was enough for me. And not because I like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. I think she the, the character is supposed to be very, like, stoic, kind of, and just not really have that those deep emotions. I, I don't have an issue with her playing the part. I just, when I first watched it, didn't love it. And it could be because it was between Infinity War and Endgame, and at that point... Everyone was like, no offense, I don't care, I just want Endgame. <laughs> because you just killed half of our characters. <laughs> and especially for me, considering most of my faves were killed. <laughs> so I think maybe that was a factor to it, I'm not sure. But I didn't love it. I just kind of bored me. Now, I definitely was much more into it the second time watching it. And I think that's maybe why I was like really getting more of this. But what I understood was I thought the power source that they kept looking for, what I didn't see, I didn't get that it was the Tesseract. I mean, maybe it came from the Tesseract, but I was thinking of it as, well, it's Captain Marvel. Like she absorbs all the energy. No, I really believe it's the Tesseract because that's why they fight for it at the end. Yeah, but I thought that was partially because now they clearly can't have Captain Marvel anymore because she's figured out all this no, stuff. No, I'm pretty sure the first was oh. the Tesseract. So I guess I'm going to amend my prior statement because I kind of forgot about that whole thing. It's not really an afterthought. I just felt like if you're going to look at more interest, like if you're going to put the plots in order of, at least to me, in order of interest, I thought the school, school oh my God, this is so hard to say scroll Cree conflict and her being caught in the middle is the much more interesting plot in the movie than like trying to like have the tesseract involved like i i didn't feel like it was necessary when you had all these other elements and i get that that's what they were chasing and blah 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 but 
Um, I don't know. I thought it just kind of complicated things. And like the fact that to your point, it doesn't make an appearance until like 85% of the way through the movie. Like, yeah, I know it's like implied and it's referred to, but it doesn't actually physically appear until later. I don't know. I just don't really feel like I love that it was even included because I think it, it like created more questions than answers. And that's not really my favorite thing. So I just kind of felt like if you were going to add it in, like it should have been, I don't know, there should have been more around it, I guess, was my thought process. Especially because it's, and I think you didn't need it in there. I, I like, you could have said her power source was the Tesseract. No one would have questioned it because she was working for a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it was like, well, S.H.I.E.L.D. had the Tesseract. Yeah. Like, that's an easy answer. And, like, I don't, I just don't know why, why was it on the ship? Like, to me, just stick with, like, the new, so we had already seen the Kree at this point because they were obviously in the first Guardians. Well, we did if you didn't watch it in timeline. Oh, I'm just saying if you're, you know, if you're watching them as they come out, you know what a Kree is because you've seen the yeah. first, sorry, one good clarification. You've seen Guardians 1, you've seen Ronan the Accuser, you know what they are, you know that they're big blue people. Okay, cool. We get the Kree. But with that being said, like, you're introducing an entirely new species, the Scrolls, right? So I guess it's just like, okay, like, why can't we just focus on the species we know, fighting the species we don't, figuring out who were the real bad guys, because in the past, the Kree have been the bad guys, and they're the, the bad guys, again, they're set up in a negative light in both movies, both Guardians and this. So, like, I felt like that conflict was enough of a plot that you didn't need to add this, you know, little plot about the power source and the Tesseract. Yeah, you could have thrown it in as a one-liner, but to have them fight for the Tesseract in this little lunchbox, like... I don't know. It just wasn't, like I said, it created more, not conflict because it did create more conflict, but it created more confusion and more, I don't know, like inconsistencies in the larger universe. And I think it didn't need to do that. Yeah. And honestly, for me, something, and you kind of brought it up a little bit with talking about Guardians. And so if you aren't watching this in timeline order and you were one of the people, especially at this point, who had been following Marvel for probably a few years, um, and now Captain Marvel's being introduced right after Infinity War. I I think what's hard, too, is this film is one of the films that, hey, it's second in timeline order, but it's one of, from our perspective right now, one of the last films to have come out. And I think that's so hard because even, well, even with, the the Kree aspect that you bring up and yeah if we take it from not timeline order um yeah we've seen the Kree yes we've seen you know Ronan we've seen you know the whole thing him working with Thanos we've seen all of that but I guess like it's hard because there's no reference to Captain Marvel in that movie because she was nowhere on that horizon yet and so when we go back in time, because I know when I rewatched Guardians, I'm sitting there and I'm like, kind of expect maybe a throwaway line that I was like, no, because it's not Well, there. not to mention even looking at it. So that perspective, totally true. And that's a really good point. But even from the opposite perspective, if you are watching it in timeline order, going in blind as a first timer, honestly, good for you. Because the first time you never get your first time back, man. Like the first time seeing any of these movies is so special because you never get another one. Just a little PSA. Enjoy them all. But you, you know, if you're a first timer and you're watching, you know, the first Avenger, then you go to Captain Marvel 
and they're out here spewing stuff about the Cree and their whole thing. Well, everybody else came into this with at least one movie of context. If you're an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, you came into this with even more context. So, you know, it's a little hard even from that perspective because, yeah, it's not hard to follow, but it's definitely easier to follow if you've got that background. So I think from both perspectives, because of when this movie came out and then when it's set, it's very difficult. Well, but I also even think, too, like, I find... Okay, I want to give Captain Marvel props because I do think the way that they introduced the Kree, love it. So in the Supreme so Intelligence, you, so cool. Evil, but yeah. so cool. The whole aspect, very interesting. And I love the whole, you start off, especially because the good guy was on the on that side. You're like, oh, these are yeah. good people. Oh, they're doing the right thing. So if you're watching it in timeline order, you're like, yeah, heck yeah. Like, this is cool. Especially because then when you do watch Guardians later on, you're like, oh, we already know these guys are bad. Like we, and you understand why Ronan is a little bit more the way he is because you get more of that context. The problem with seeing it in the other order, because Captain Marvel didn't come out until 2018, is, well, now we already know the Kree were bad. And I know when I first watched it, I was confused as all heck because I was like, didn't we already know this? And then it's like, oh, but the Kree are good now. And then I had to keep going, no, we're in the 90s. No, we're in the 90s. Like, it's hard to do that. And I think that, you know, in quite a few previous podcasts, talking about works that have been coming out in the future, we had said, please, Marvel, keep us in order. Because Captain Marvel, I think part of the problem with it and why people are kind of about it is also because it came out and first off in a weird time but also it was late to the party you were too late making this movie that should have come out much earlier i think the same can be said for black widow like when you're doing movies that are set so i mean black widow's what seven years prior to where we are currently in the mcu right so that's that's not chump change we're not talking six months 18 months a year you know, that was not in order, but you know what I mean? We're not talking a small amount of time. We're talking seven years. In Captain Marvel's yeah. case that came out in 2018, and we're talking about a movie that took place in 1995, that's 23 years. That's the amount of time I've been on this planet. So, like, that's a really long time to try to, like, you're not retconning, but, like, go back and, like, make sure everything fits and, like, why wasn't she here or all this stuff. So, I I will, you know, second your thought of, like, please, you know, if they're coming out in the same year and they're not quite in order, that's fine. Okay, I, I can wrap my brain around that. But let's not do some, yeah. like, major time jumps anymore to fill in gaps that, let's be honest, weren't really gaps anymore. You know, Black Widow, it's a great movie, don't get me wrong. But did I need that movie? Like, no, I didn't. You know, honestly, Captain Marvel could have been set in 2018. I don't know that it would have been that different. Well, and you know what? The only reason that Captain Marvel, and I say this in the best way, but the only reason that it was made and came out when it did was because she played a role in Endgame and they were ty- that's how they were bringing her in. And like I said, I think that could be, I, this is one of the, for, I'm not even going to get into some of the other reasons I know people hate it, <laughs> uh, but this is one of the most disputed movies about whether people like it, whether people hate it, whether people like Brie Larson as, Captain Marvel, whether or not, whatever. But I do think one of the aspects has to be where she came in. And she is, I know something I've heard many Marvel fans say is she's so powerful. What's the point? She's so powerful.
powerful. Like, I mean, think about even an endgame. She freaking takes down an entire ship by herself. She got headbutted by Thanos and smirked at him. And then headbutted him back, right? No. Or did she hit him? I don't know. I don't watch Endgame that often because it hurts. At least Infinity War, I turn off 10 minutes before ending. You can't because my love my, my love of my life, Natasha. But either way, <laughs> but exactly. Like, I think that was a lot of people's thing too was like, okay, but she's like too powerful. So what's happening here? And now I think going into the future... I think that that's different because we're seeing more powerful beings. I mean, look at Wanda well, now. Also, um, the uh, from WandaVision, I'm blanking on her character's name. Monica, who's also going to be a part of the Captain Marvel. And she's so powerful. Like, I think we've only, we haven't even scratched the surface. We've, we've brushed the surface of what Monica is going to be able to do. So I think she's going to be able to, like, I think there's finally people here who are of her caliber who don't make her look like like the most powerful person in the room. Will she be the most powerful person in the room? Likely. Let's let's put it up. Likely she will. But I think it depends. I'm going to give an it depends because I I think she has okay. I'm going to listen. You know I got to advocate for my girl. I think her and Wanda are very similar, but Wanda can get into your head and she can manipulate a lot more. I find her to be more powerful just because, oh, they could both fly. Oh, they could shoot things at people. Yes. But I, I think Wanda's got that edge on Counterpoint, her. Counterpoint, Captain Marvel already had the supreme intelligence in her head, so she can probably block that out. Like, if she could get the supreme intelligence out of her head, she can probably at least minimize Wanda's ability to play with her mind. I, I'm gonna say All maybe. All I'm gonna say is if Agnes, Agatha, sorry, I combined her names, Agatha Harkness, Agnes, if Agatha, well, what's her name? Wait, that makes so much sense now, Agatha Harkness, Ag- Agnes. Did you not? Okay, I'm glad that you're just having that realization. Um, you know, if she's able to get out of Wanda's mind trick relatively quickly, I would think that a Captain Marvel who's, like, I mean, the Supreme Intelligence is, like, the most advanced ai in the universe i think she could do it i bring on a huge counterpoint to that and that was before she became fully the scarlet witch who is now like the (laughs) all-powerful so i'm gonna bring that major counterpoint either way i just think that now that we have those really powerful players coming in i think that helps but i think her time of debut made it hard because everyone was like what is her point? Because she could destroy Thanos. She could destroy Thanos' entire army single-handedly. She didn't need the help of all the Avengers. So I think that was part of the issue with her. Um, And maybe that was, like, an inherent problem I also had with her and didn't really realize it. Because, like I said, watching it the second time around, I did think it was much better. I agree. I did not have a high opinion of it the first time. Second time, I was like, okay, this isn't too bad. And then third time, I was like, wait, this movie's actually kind of funny. Like, not funny in a bad way, but, like, the comedy was actually pretty good. Well, yeah. And I love freaking seeing Younger Fury. That gives me, like, the light of day. And what I will say, I'm going to pick up something that I don't remember. Oh, it's a Winter Soldier. Duh, I should know that I quote that movie every day of my life. The whole last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. And it was the freaking cat. Like, Marvel. Come on. Disappointing. I would say that's like up there with like Taskmaster level disappointment um, for me. 
I just think that that was one of those things that they almost couldn't figure out how to involve it. And they were like, we'll just do it in this movie. It was like that. I, I, walking away, those were always my biggest issues with Captain Marvel, I think, is that because it came too late, it was either making too many holes or trying to fill some and none of it ever made sense. They didn't do any of it successfully. All right. I think we're done ragging on this movie. I want to talk about some of the things that I really liked. First of all, the 90s fashion, which we're all wearing now anyway, so very timely. Thank you, Captain Marvel. Also, um, the soundtrack um, with the 90s songs, and I think there's some, like, Nirvana in there, which we get some Nirvana in, a, in another movie. You know which one I'm referring to because it broke me. It's a cover of Nirvana, but we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. But I, I'm pretty sure it's Nirvana in this movie. So there's some like really solid like 90s like alternative, which is the stuff that I grew up on, um, which is amazing. So love that. In the same way that, you know, Captain America is so fun because of the time period and the aesthetics, I really enjoyed that. I mean, the whole the whole trope where she comes, not trope, but the whole scene where she comes into a freaking blockbuster, brilliant. Just like so... <laughs> Rest in peace, Blockbuster. <laughs> like that, they could not have made that more quintessentially 90s, more perfect. The fact that she's plugging her alien technology into a phone booth. Oh my God, the gag. What an amazing I was gag. the same thing. <laughs> so good. Just so, so good. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot to love about this movie. I genuinely thought the comedy was really funny. You know, I didn't really like love it the first two times but I, I think the third time I was like this is good stuff uh I think if we're gonna go off some of the things I love and as you said didn't love it the first time not gonna lie I walked out there and I had not a single good thing to say about it <laughs> like I was I went with my one friend who doesn't normally watch Marvel movies and I felt terrible I was like this is not the way <laughs> you should watch these movies because this was not it but first off and maybe it's because of my love for just this idea but I loved having as I said before Young Fury I loved having yes. Young Coulson I loved seeing him come in I liked seeing them as not who they are now and starting to see that little relationship blossom I was just thinking the same thing how they're starting to trust each other and then you know in 20 years they've got each other's backs like no questions asked I loved it I also love that now we see Monica later on I just made I think I really have a love for this I like that we don't know who this little girl really is. She's kind of just there. And no one expected her to be really much more. We didn't see it coming. And then, boom, there she was in WandaVision. Now she's going to be a bigger role later on, of course. But I loved that. And I just, honestly, and maybe this is because I have my whole love for Bucky, but the whole memory trip and her kind of, she's seen things, but she doesn't understand it. I, I liked that she was a part of something that, essentially like kind of half kidnapped her literally because she just had power and she like <laughs> took what and kind of took what they partially wanted which was the power core which well whatever but I just think I thought it was so interesting seeing that flip and how she was figuring out like this isn't right what they're doing and she's like one thing comes after the other and like I said when you watch this in timeline order it's even better just because you don't know the Kree are essentially the bad yeah, guys that whole like uh reveal is so much nicer if you're coming in it from a pure timeline standpoint and you're coming into it fresh with new you know without any of the context it's more confusing you know that way but it's also which 
rest in peace a little bit to all the actual Marvel fans. Not saying not actual, but fans who were fans at the time because none of us got to do that. But <laughs> because we all had already seen Guardians. But I also just liked the whole aspect. Like when you start this movie, you're like, what is going on? Because if you've only ever watched Captain America, you went from World War II to you're on an alien planet. Like you don't know what's just happening. It, it, it's awesome. And I love that because you don't know where this movie's going. And I think at first I hated that. But when I was first watching this movie, I remember even being like, oh, God. Because I'm not going to lie, I didn't know a lot about Captain Marvel as a character. She was not one I tended to follow, even comic book-wise. So I kind of just was like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And I just, I don't know. I, I Guardians does space so well that I was like, oh, God, now we're going to do a whole other space movie that's not related to Guardians is kind of weird to me. but. Watching it the second time, it's it's that very different feel, and her coming to Earth, and just, like, some of the things she had to figure out was just so funny to me that, like, I can't even explain to you. Her fighting the freaking Grandma Scroll oh gives me so life. Good. Like, I just, I, and I don't remember the one thing that she did that, uh, she did it with Fury, and I, either he did it or she did it, and they both were just like, wait, what the heck? It, it just was funny because it's like, I live for those people, and maybe this is why I like Captain America, too, trying to figure things out, because they're not where they're supposed to be, and they're like, what is going on? Like, I don't know how to use a, this door properly, or I don't know, like, even in the first Avengers movie, like the Avengers movie, um, <laughs> when Cap's sitting there, and he makes the bet with Fury, <laughs> and it's the whole, and Buffy won't impress me, and then it's like, they go up onto the hydro- Helicarrier. Thank you, not hydro. Helicarriers, I'm thinking of the water. And he just passes him 10 bucks because this man has never seen so it. good. It's one of my favorite scenes of all time. Exactly. And that is what I live for. And Captain Marvel, just having her experience some of the things that it's it's also a little sad because you knew she used to know. This is this used to be where she was from. And she didn't know that. So it, it's I think taking away some of that surface and looking deeper in it's almost a heartbreaking story and I think that's something when you first watch it you kind of see it at more of a surface level than seeing it at that deeper like this girl was essentially taken from everything she knew brainwashed like didn't know any literally she just went on a test flight one day and then next thing she knows like she's literally being like I don't even know like her mind is white. She has all these random powers. Well, she's quite literally made into a scroll. Like, or not a scroll, a yeah. tree. Like, they literally pump the, her dude, the Jude Law's character. <laughs> Young Rock, I think it is. Uh, that, you know, once they hit the alien names, I don't remember them as much. But, like, like, literally pumps his blood through her veins. Which, like, honestly, that part was, weird. yes, it was weird. But it also made me really excited because I know, you know, there's the whole question of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s, agent of, whether or not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is part of the canon. But that's what Fury does to save Coulson after Loki stabs him. So where do you think he learned that? Like, that just made me really happy on a completely different level because I was like, oh my, like, this is where he got the idea to save his best friend. Like, well, I don't know if they're, like, best friends, but in my mind, they're best friends. And so, like... I love that. I was like, oh my god, like, that's, like, regardless of whether or not it's canon, like, that's amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, and my only other point, which is something, because I know the Tesseract was a just in general to me a problem the entire movie. Once, once you, no, obviously not the entire because we don't see it, but like once we bring it into the movie, it became a problem. My only other thing that I stand with is there was the whole like when she does kind of absorb all the power. I guess I never really like got how that didn't just yeah. Work. I I don't know. It. I mean, maybe the same way that like here's how I like to think about Hulk. it. Like, not everybody got as strong as Steve with the super soldier serum. Like, yeah, not all of it was, like, Erskine serum, and I get that, and, like, his was the best in the world. But you now have Bucky, you have Alexi, you have all those other winter soldiers. There were other, um, uh, you have, what's-his-face, the, uh, the really annoying one, um, Focap. Oh my god, yeah, but he's, he's, <laughs> we don't need to bring him up. <laughs> None of them were as good as Steve. Take Bucky out of that. <laughs> Whatever. My point being, um, sometimes it does, like, you know, all, I get that all other things are the same because they're different serums, but let's just pretend that they are. All other things consistent, it sometimes really does come down to the individual and their, you know, in literal individual makeup in order to, you know, survive that. And I don't know if you heard, yeah, and I don't know if you heard what I said, but I said, you know, Hulk, I guess, would be, uh, to me, a better example to explain my own yeah. question, just because, I mean, theoretically, the gamma ray should have killed him and instead didn't and made him almost into an unkillable machine. So, I, to me, I, I don't know, I kind of think about Hulk more as a better example than the super soldier serum, but... I don't, yeah, and I guess, like I said, that answers my own question. I just, I always think about that just because, you know, this is a pure power source. It just seems like amazing that the, she just absorbs this. But I mean, if we're to, to just like take it as it is, we take it as it is, you know, I'm not going to sit there and <laughs> be like, because I don't question why the Hulk or why Banner didn't die. Like, I, I never questioned that. And that's probably because I grew up watching the incredible hulk and knowing about the incredible hulk that i just my brain was like oh okay so i think maybe being older and over analyzing things can sometimes come into effect but that was really the only other thing that i kind of sit there and i was like oh, okay i'm not really sure why she of all people just like managed to absorb all of it but i mean like you go off sis you know you do you <laughs> so i don't know that was just my thing like i said i ended up liking it a lot more the second time around i'm sure by the time I end up, whenever it is, watching it the third, fourth, whatever, I'll probably like it just as much, if not maybe more. And it'll definitely keep growing on me now that... And, and like I said, I think the shadow of Endgame maybe also just affected that at the time. So moral of the story, if you don't love Captain Marvel on your first watch, give it another shot and go back to it two, three times. Because it does, like you said, it does grow on you. I had the exact same experience. Every time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it more. Because truthfully, on my first watch, I really wanted to like it, but I did just did not. First impression yeah. was very low for me on this movie, like you were saying yours was. So, moral of the story, this one's not one that's going to... It's not a Ragnarok, folks. Like, it's not gonna sit here. Not a Winter Soldier either. make <laughs> you super hype. First viewing, and you're like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like, it's just not gonna do that for you. But it does own a special place. I don't know, maybe not a special place, but it just owns, like, it gets up to everybody else, you know, on watches two and three, where you're like, okay, this is, like, on par with, like, all of the others that are, like, not my favorites, but, yeah. like, here. They're, they're, like, 
I don't want to say average in a bad way because I feel like average nowadays starts to get this negative connotation to it. But like literally average. Like if we were at a scale from zero to ten, they were like five, six. You know, they're not bad movies at all. They're great movies, but they're not like, whoa, I can watch this nine thousand times. Whoa, this made an impact. This this movie spoke to me. Like what like I think a lot of people don't love Age of Ultron. I will highly disagree with that. We'll get to that one eventually. But I think that's how people kind of feel about that. It's like, well, it's average. It's not like, wow. But it wasn't the worst movie ever made. Same thing with, like, a lot of one, well, two movies that get a lot of flack are, like, Thor and Thor the Dark World. Like, neither one of them, I will admit, like, I didn't love both of them on my first couple of viewings. I've enjoyed them more as time has gone on and I've gotten to understand knowing their arcs later on is almost more helpful. Yeah, I agree. You know, you get to, I guess you have like a nostalgia almost for their beginning. If you know how they become, especially like if you're, you know, in the case of Loki, like, you know, he's dead. And then you have like the Loki series and that's like a whole layer of things. And like, or Thor, like now he's so, you know, he used to be so boisterous and fun and, positive basically up until infinity war when he now lost the last member of his family he lost all his people like he's rightfully so depressed because he literally lost everything so i think there's almost a nostalgia for those early movies where he's like that happy-go-lucky guy um but i think this is kind of the same way not the nostalgia but that you know people don't love the movie but i think as you watch it more, you grow to appreciate it. And I think that as she furthers down her franchise and the Marvels comes out and, you know, we can sit, we continue to see character growth. I think there will be a special place for that first movie and that nostalgia of, oh, this is where she learned who she was. And now she's, you know, X, Y, and Z, which is fantastic. You know, you do, you grow. That's, you know, human nature. Um, But there's always going to be that nostalgia then for that early you know that first time you saw her or as she came into her own a little bit well and like I said I think some of the reason this movie got flack was just its timing was not well done like it wasn't a good time for this movie to have come out and they went with it and fine and I got why like I said before obviously her her impact in endgame blah 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 but I definitely don't think the timing helped her um I agree and and, you know, it, it's really hard to have a late origin story, let alone your origin story literally being the one that's, like, half a crutch for, like, in between Infinity War and Endgame, because literally the Infinity War, like, end credit scene is you. Yeah. So, and then, like, right into Endgame. Like, so, you know, like, <laughs> it's just bad timing, I really think. The more you watch it, especially if you're watching it in timeline order, helps a lot more. I'm going to be honest. If you're not watching, like, I think it's hard to watch them in timeline order now if you're a new fan. But as older fans, I think watching them in timeline order helps a lot more. It does. I agree. So, I agree. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was the first two movies of our Marvel replay series. We hope you enjoyed hearing our our thoughts as we've watched these movies you know for sometimes our fifth sometimes our third sometimes it's way more than five and three and we lost count just wait till we hit winter soldier man (laughs) i don't even know how many times i've watched that movie (laughs) oh yeah me with civil war but yeah so uh we hope you enjoyed it 
as always, um, please continue to, you know, listen to our episodes when they come out, subscribe to the podcast, follow the blog. We are always coming out with new content, always trying to keep up with the latest Marvel news because there's always something. Um, so please just continue to follow us wherever you can. And also add on to our Twitter. Uh, it is Let's Talk MFT. And I like to talk to everyone. Please be my friend. And I know I sound desperate. I'm not. <laughs> is that did that sound so believable? I know. <laughs> no, I really do love, you know, tweeting to everyone, getting people to tweet back to me. Um, and I love we like to share some of the theories we've talked about on the podcast or some we've come up with in the meantime. Uh, and we like to tweet them. So I really like getting some of our theories out there that maybe we aren't saying on a podcast or we didn't get a chance to. And seeing some of you guys like and retweet them. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. You guys kind of on the same page. So definitely go follow. And as we do this Marvel replay, I just want to remind everyone, clearly there's a ton of content. So please, please, please watch it all to begin with and keep up with it all. Because Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it.